Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. As we proceed to This is the one boy, a.k.a. DJ Rabbit, representing Rabbit Productions, hanging out chilling with my girl, Side Buggy. That's right, Side Brown on politicsremix.com. Say word. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Side Brown, and you know what today is. When you hear that drop by Biggie, as we proceed to give you what you need, you know that means it's Tuesday, and we are talking politics for the full show we're talking the economy. We're talking a host of other issues, stuff that's going on. I don't know about you, but I am so, so tired of us bailing out banks. So we're going to be talking about the bank bailout. Today, I am joined by a special guest. I'm really excited. She was the former editor-in-chief of The Source magazine. Miss Kim Osorio will be joining us shortly. She's like, Todd, I'm doing something in the city. I can't tell what it is, but um, <laughs> it's definitely good. Um, and she said, I'm calling in a little bit later. It's all good. I told Kim I'm so happy to have you on the show because, uh, you know, she, she, she made a big impact in hip-hop, and there's a lot of things that she's done. I want to hear her opinions. It's definitely not to come on and, and, you know, talk about, oh, just because Kim has a new book. No, this woman really has a lot to say, so I'm excited to have her on the show. And just really kind of let's talk about what's going on with uh, hip-hop, the economy, politics, music, and a host of other things that's going on. There's just so much to talk about. There's so much for us to really explore and look at, and, you know, as we continue to be the best us's that we can be, which is really our goal every single day, um, it's really going to be a good thing. I have, <laughs> before we even move on to the whole political thing and then bring Kim in, I just have something fun to share with you, and it is posted or it will be posted very shortly on my blog, SideBrown.com. This is a tribute to all you 80s babies. What, what, who said I'm an 80s baby and I ra- mastered Reaganomics? Was it, um, was it Jay? I think it was Jay, right, where he said I'm an 80s baby and I mastered Reaganomics. Well, I've got 30, what is it, the, the best 80s. It's 30, let me, let me scroll down really quick. No, it's 40, actually. Some of them are visual, so you have to see it on my blog. So if you can, log on to SideBrown.com. I'll post it right after the show. I can't do it right now because... I just somebody just sent me the email right before I went on the air. But anyway, I'm going to start from number 40 and work my way down, and then we'll get into politics. You've got to have a little fun. Um, you're an 80s baby if your hair looked like this for at least one school picture. Can I tell you, the girl's hair is teased and really, really high. You're still singing straight 
<laughs> shot through your heart and your head, aren't you? You used to and probably still say, what you talking about, Willis? You remember the ad, Where's the Beef? You owned a banana clip for your hair. I owned a million of those in different colors. <laughs> you tight-rolled or French-cuffed your jeans. Remember when you used to take your jeans and pinch it in and then roll it up so they looked really tight at the ankles? <laughs> um, you're still singing We Are the World, and you sing those words right to yourself. You knew all the characters' names of the original Saved by the Bell. <laughs> you remember New Kids on the Block when they were cool, and don't even flinch when people referred, referred to them as N-K-O-T-B. <laughs> you remember Alf, the little furry brown alien from Melmac. You thought Doogie Hauser Han- <laughs> was cute. His name is Neil Patrick Harris. I actually just saw him on Saturday Night Live, and that was pretty funny. You remember watching both Gremlins movies. You remember boomboxes and walking around with them uh, on, on one shoulder. And remember the uh, the hat, like the raccoon hat? It's a picture of Prince Marky D, so I'll, I'll get that up there. You remember roller skates and going to a roller skating rink before there were inline skates. You remember, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> After you saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure, you kept saying, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> you ever owned a pair of jellies? You still get the urge to say not after every sentence. You took, uh, you took lunch boxes to school and traded garbage pail kids cards in, your, in, the, in, the, in the schoolyard. You ever wondered why Smurfette was the only female Smurf? <laughs> you can remember what Michael Jackson looked like before his nose fell off, his cheeks shifted, and his nationality became questionable. <laughs> You ever wore anything fluorescent to school? This is hilarious. This is all for people that remember growing up in the 80s, which definitely speaks to me. I was born in 1971, so to me this is absolutely hilarious. Um, you know the meaning of wax on, wax off. <laughs> you wore a stonewashed Jordache jean jacket to school, and you were proud of it. <laughs> you played the game MASH. Remember that game Mansion Apartment Shelter House? You made your mom buy one of those clips that would hold your shirt in a knot on the side. I think that speaks definitely to girls. You wore a ponytail on the side of your head, which I still do sometimes. I guess I really don't want to grow out of the 80s. Um, You actually remember getting up on Saturday morning to watch cartoons. There was no Cartoon Network. There was no... uh, um, like, uh, what is it, Nick at Night and all that other stuff. We actually had to get up on Saturday morning to watch cartoons and watch, uh, like, what's Bugs Bunny and Elmer J. Fudd, because that was, like, probably all we could watch. Um, you know you're from the 80s if you ever watched Fraggle Rock, which I did. I loved Fraggle Rock. <laughs> you're from the 80s if you remember that Whoa came from Joey on Blossom. You can sing the rap to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and you can do the Carlton. (laughs) And you know you grew up in the 80s if you ever entered a sentence with the word psych. (laughs) That's just some fun stuff. I'm going to post this whole thing up on my blog. I actually posted it on my blog. But the pictures came out funny, so I had to I had to go back and repost everything, which each individual picture, which was like taking me forever. But I got it right before I went on the air, so I had to uh, I have to repost it later. But on that note, yeah, everybody, today is going to be a good show. Listen, for those of you 
who may miss the show or you're catching the show later, you know you can always download Life Remix Radio through the archives. You can always log on to the archives and catch the show. You can also um, log on to liferemixradio.com and listen to past shows. Uh, we've got all the shows posted up there. You can just go into the search box or you can just scroll through the tags and you'll find the show that you're looking for. And lastly, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, www.twitter.com forward slash Life Remix for Life Remix Radio. And on that note, let's really get into today's show, which is about politics. Um, we're just going to transition here and, and really get into politics and what's going on with the economy. We had our fun at the top of the show, and uh, it's, it's really time to get into the meat of this. Big shout-out to everybody that's joining me in the chat room. This is nice. I love seeing people in the chat room. I love it, I love it, I love it. Everybody that's, uh, that's listening on the East Coast, it's 12 noon. Everybody on the West Coast, it is 9 a.m. or a little after 9 in the morning. So big shout-out to everybody who's blogging and, and chatting it up with me in the chat room. Uh, but let's, let's now get into this whole um, – this whole situation with AIG and the bailouts. Last last Tuesday, I did a whole timeline on what happened with AIG from beginning to end, as I understand it, as, as kind of dating back to when the first bailout money was given. And it just kind of broke down what happened when and when people when people knew about it. And I, I think when we start to look at what's going on with AIG and the bailout, we're really looking at a situation of class warfare. It's a situation whereby more people have not than have. And when that happens, we see what happened in Connecticut this past weekend where people are taking bus rides to the recipients of that bailout money. They're taking bus rides to their house, houses. And one woman actually got on TV and said, well, these are very nice people, and I don't know why these people are here. They've worked really hard, and if I could have kicked my television, I would have kicked my TV. I was so heated. But when you look at it, they really believe that. They really believe that these people are doing absolutely nothing wrong. They think that they deserve that money and that it's rightfully theirs. Now, obviously, that's extremely, extremely debatable, but I wish I could have a conversation with Ben Bernanke and Timothy Geithner because I want to know what is going on. I want to know why the bonuses were not halted and where this money is actually coming from, where we're going to bail these people out. Because right now, we're talking trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And when we start looking at the amount of zeros, I mean, it goes beyond we're not going to have money. I already know there's going to be no Social Security. Or, or wait, I can't say that comfortably, but I already know that I'm planning for there not to be a Social Security once I become of, age, become of a certain age. I'm putting contingency plans in place, but you know something? Everybody can't do that. Everybody doesn't have the ability to do that, and I'm not sure if it's going to work for everybody. But for those of you who may have missed last week's show, let me just go on a quick rundown 
of the whole AIG timeline because it's very, very important. If you missed it in detail, you can definitely go into the archives of the show where I outline everything piece by piece. But I, I think it's important for us to understand, before we can pick up the scenario from right here, right today, where we are, we really need to understand what happened before so we can make better, better decisions as we continue to move forward. And this whole thing really started, and my source, just so you know, it really started with the mortgage, but it goes really into the derivatives market. Maybe I can do a whole show on my understanding about derivatives and the derivatives market, because once you understand the complexities, well, that's an oxymoron. You can't really understand derivatives because it's very complex. But once we start to understand the complexities of the derivative market, this starts to paint a very ugly picture. And we start to realize, the American public starts to realize how deep this problem really is. And I believe what has happened is that they've made it, the calculating process, so complex and because we have systematically dumbed down our students, it's a very select few are the only ones that truly understand the magnitude of what's really going on with our finances and our economy. And it's frustrating because now people want to understand and they're realizing how stupid we all really are. And, and I include myself in that pot as well. But that's why I work my tail off as much as I can to understand the derivatives market, to understand why the stock is rallying just because somebody comes out with a positive press release or comes out or, or Gibbs comes out in front of the White House press corps and says something rosy and shiny and all of a sudden the stock market surges 497 points as it did yesterday. It kind of makes all of the comments that come from the White House or people in power a little disingenuous, don't you think? At least I do. I think it really does make things a little disingenuous because perhaps you're saying it just to cause a surge, just to quell some of the anxieties in the stock market or Wall Street. But anyway, let's get into this AIG timeline, and then we'll, then we'll really talk a little bit more about what's happening and where we are as at today. According to Reuters, which, is, which was my source for this blog post that I made last Tuesday, American International Group, once the world's largest insurer, nearly collapsed last September under losses from bad mortgage bets made by a financial products unit. Sidebar, the financial products unit is the unit that received the bonuses, the lion's share of the bonuses. So it's really strange that they received the lion's share of the bonuses, and they're the ones that caused this debacle. Anyway, the United States government has since stepped up, stepped in with $180 billion in financial support and has said it may still have to help AIG more, which this is as of last week. The following is a timeline of events since AIG was first rescued by the United States last year. So I'm going to get into this. Uh, what's up, True? I see you just joined me in the chat room. Good looking out. How are you? Uh, we have our guests joining us very shortly, but I want to get into a little bit of this first. September 16th, AIG avoids bankruptcy thanks to an $85 billion rescue that gives the government a 79.9% stake in the insurer. September 18th, this is all 2008 until I say otherwise. AIG names Edward Liddy, former Allstate chairman, as chairman in chief executive succeeding Robert Will Willemstad, who stepped down after three months on the job. 
October 3rd, AIG announces broad plans announces broad plans to sell assets to repay its loan from the US government. This is important. Moody's Investor Service cuts AIG's debt rating by one notch, citing the company's plan to sell assets to pay off debt, leaving the insurer with fewer businesses to rely on. The downgrade leaves AIG with an A3 rating, the seventh highest out of 10 investment grade levels. October 10th, AIG says it borrowed $70.3 billion as of October 8th. They draw fire because they spent, this is the same time they spent 200000 on hotel rooms and 23000 on spa services days after it got the emergency loan from the government. Now, you can look at this. It cuts both ways because technically it's a loan, and if it's a loan, they can do whatever they want to do with it, which is, a lot, which is partially the position that they're taking. This is a bridge loan. So in their eyes, they're going to continue business as usual because they feel the money's getting paid back anyway, and we need to continue business as usual in order to rebound. Now, that statement is debatable, but I believe that that's very much so the position that they've taken. November 6th, AIG says the total owed under its $85 billion credit facility from the United States stands at $61.3 billion as of November 5th, including interest and fees. November 10th, AIG posts a record quarterly loss, hurt for the fourth consecutive quarter by write-downs on assets linked to subprime mortgages. We talked last week about write-downs is when you say, hey, this isn't worth what it used to be, and we're just going to take it to the value that it should be, which is not good because we know that all of these numbers were falsely inflated anyway. November 25th, Liddy is to receive a dollar in salary for 2008-2009, and there will be no bonuses for this company's seven senior most executives, and 50 more AIG executives will be locked out of pay raises in 2009, according to AIG. That's the sticking point right there. They're saying that the most senior executives will not receive bonuses, but it didn't say they would, rec would not receive a pay increase. And then it said 50 more AIG executives will be locked out of pay raises in 2009, but it didn't say they would not receive bonuses. So that's how you really have to read between the lines and watch the language. December 2nd, AIG and the government say that they reached an agreement to clear the insurer of its obligations on about $53.5 billion in toxic mortgage debt. December 22nd, about two, about three weeks later, German reinsurer Munich says it will buy AIG's HSB group for $742 million to expand its U.S. businesses. And that's what's happening right now, guys. A lot of this money is just changing hands, and it's just, you remember that sleight of hands trick with the cards? That's what a lot of this is doing. January 26, 2009, we are now in 2009, AIG says it's working with Bank of America and Merrill Lynch to sell a fund management business that it operates, 15 funds with more than $12.4 billion in assets under management as of September 30th, which was part of their fiscal year the year prior. March 2nd, now we're bringing it into today's, you know, recent history. Treasury and Fed announce a third new aid plan for AIG. This is the third round of money, putting $30 billion more at its disposal and easing terms and conditions to give the insurer a billion-dollar-a-year break on interest and dividend payments. Wowzers. AIG says it reserved... It's a bailout preserve... Wait, I'm sorry. AIG says the revised bailout preserves capital 
which you know I went off on a rant about that, AIG says the revised bailout plan preserves capital, thereby increasing the likelihood it can repay the government debt and revise itself into a smaller company with better long-term prospects. That right there thoroughly pissed me off because right there it's saying that its revised bailout plan, which they had to revise in order to get that third round of funding in the beginning of March, it's saying that it's preserving capital. Nowhere does it say stimulate the economy. Nowhere does it say create jobs. Nowhere does it say save jobs. They're, they, they're getting this money basically to preserve the capital, working capital, which is their money in the bank, to keep them afloat, which I think, again, was very disingenuous on the part of AIG. But, hey, that's capitalism at its best. At the same time, AIG reports a $61.7 billion fourth quarter loss. I just don't get it. The largest quarterly loss in corporate history, $61.7 billion. And then this goes back to the derivatives market. That's exactly where this goes back to. March 14th, according to documents obtained by Reuters, AIG's financial products unit, I'm sorry, is obligated to pay $220 million in employee retention payments for 2008. Here's where it gets hairy because March 14th, that was on a Saturday. Most of these people don't even work on Saturdays, and they do stuff Friday nights and on Saturdays because it skips under the radar because the American public is too busy enjoying the weekend and not paying attention. We all know Monday morning we're listening to the news, we're watching the news, but by the time Friday comes, we, don't, we are newsed out Saturday. We don't want to see, hear, or anything relating to politics or the news, and that's when a lot of stuff is getting done. It slips right under the radar. And we miss it, and, and it's done by design. Anyway, let me go back. Uh, March 14th, according to documents obtained by Reuters, AIG's financial products unit is obligated to pay $220 million in employee retention payments for 2008, $55 million of which were paid in December, and $165 million required to be paid by March 15th, which was the very next day. AIG Chairman Edward Liddy says in a letter to Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner that the company will sharply cut remaining 2009 salaries for top executives of the unit and realign 2008 bonuses to tie them to restructuring and repayment targets. Chief White House Economic Advisor Lawrence Summers later calls the bonuses outrageous but says Geithner had done all that was legally permissible to limit the payments. March 15th was Sunday, the day this money was supposed to be paid, which was about a week ago. AIG discloses that several United States and European banks were beneficiaries of taxpayer bailout money of the insurer and said that more than $90 billion had been paid to various banks between the September bailout and the end of the year. The banks that received the funds included Goldman Sachs, Society General, Deutsche Bank, Barclays, Merrill Lynch, and Bank of America. Now, what makes all of this so interesting is that we're looking at a situation where they're, the money that, remember we said, he, AIG stated that that bailout money is going to be used to preserve capital, but then here we are a month later in March saying that they, the beneficiaries of our bailout money is not even us. It's other banks. So here's the situation where, what is it, the fox watching the hen house or something like that? How does that saying go where the fox is watching the hen house? And basically that's what's happening. And for the record, Timothy Geithner, who is our Treasury Secretary, used to work for Goldman Sachs. So 
if we're not, uh, you know, this this definitely speaks to the chicken watching the hen house or the root. However that statement goes, they don't need to be watching their own kind. We need to have an outside agency policing where this money is going and what's going on with this money because if not, the money is just going to keep circulating amongst their own and it's never going to touch down. And I tell you, when I watched the news yesterday morning, which was Monday, um, and I saw that they were facilitating bus rides to these people's houses in Connecticut, this is going to get serious. This is going to get very serious because now our great-grandchildren, children's children's children, are going to be the ones that are actually paying this money out to maintain these people's standard of living. That just blows me away. But let me just say something very quickly about, um, about today. Let's bring it up to speed. Today, Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner, or Tim Geithner, as, as he's referred quite often in the media, and Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke arrived on Capitol Hill in Washington to testify before the House Financial Services Committee hearing on AIG. Listen to this. A lot of politicians want to get on these money committees in Washington because now the money committees I'm sorry, they want to get on the money committees in Washington, which is the Financial Services Committee, Ways and Means, which is headed by Char Charlie Rangel, who's right out of New York, because now the people that they're supposed to be watching over are now in a position to fund the political campaigns of these people. It came out yesterday that a lot of our politicians that sit on these committees actually have received money from all of the banks that we're bailing out. Bank of America, I believe, I'm trying to recall from memory, this stat I don't have in front of me, but I remember that uh, I believe it was Bank of America gave Charlie Rangel, who's from Harlem, I believe, and I also believe he's the, one of the highest ranking um, black Democrats on a committee in Washington, uh, gave him like a thousand bucks. Other banks gave other politicians thousands of dollars. But here's the catch. The money that they give them is so immaterial in amount, it's, it pales in comparison to the money when we start making concessions with laws, how they can benefit. Let me say that again. Don't forget the maximum personal contribution is only like $4,500 or $4,600 for a general election or a primary election. So when these people are given $1,000, it's really immaterial in amount. However, once these politicians become seated again and once they win their reelection for their territory and for their area, they are now in position to make laws. So now when lobbyists on behalf of these financial institutions come into Washington, they now are almost obligated because they accepted money to sway things their way. And so now it, this whole system perpetuates itself where who's really watching who? Nobody's really watching anybody, and that's the situation that got us into this mess, deregulation. I'm not for big government. There's a lot of things that I'm not for, but I'm also astute enough to know that there's too many cooks in the kitchen and not enough oversight. And when you start to deregulate financial markets, which is exactly what's going on with the derivatives market, there's no regulation. You, an average investor can't even get involved in the derivatives market. Why is it that we can't even get involved in the derivatives market? That's because there's too much money at stake.
We have way too much money at stake, and everybody can't play. If your money doesn't look like their money, then you can't play. And I have said it on this show countless times. I do not believe that George Bush was a racist. I believe if your money didn't look like his money, that said it all. And that's really how it rested. But now let's, let's get back to this whole thing about these bonuses. My research has revealed to me that about $55 million has been given back from the recipients who received these bonuses. What the government sought to do last week is tax these bonuses at 90% which I was totally against. And in my private conversations with other politically astute individuals within my sphere of influence, they said, Sai, how in the world can you be against us getting the money back? And I said, I'm totally not against us getting the money back. That's not the issue. The issue is how we get that money back, because what that does is that sets precedence for us to start creating arbitrary laws that become immediately enforced that suits the current economic times. And now let's look. You know blacks are adversely affected by laws that are made. Let's look at the, the, the Rockefeller drug laws. There's people still serving time that are still incarcerated now for minimal drug possession from stuff they did in the 80s when the crack epidemic came about. That's bananas. That shouldn't even be. So if we start just creating laws at whim or creating laws because it fits the current economic situation or the current political climate, I have a problem with that. I have a huge problem with that. I really just think one of the most critically important pieces is that we really look at what's going on, become aware um, and, and start to understand what's going on in the world around us, because if not, we're really going to be lost. This whole AIG, the whole bailout, this whole class warfare is just going to go straight over our heads, and we're going to miss a lot. Before we bring in our guests, just really quickly, just want to give a big shout-out to everybody's in the chat room. What's up, True? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for holding down the chat room for those quick couple of seconds to Dropping Seed Radio. What's up, Sandy? Uh, how elegant. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, I'm going to bring in our special guest. You know, I blogged about it today, and definitely a woman of power, a woman of strength, a woman of opinion, Miss Kim Osorio. What's going on, darling? How are you? Thank you for joining us today right here on Life Remix Radio. Hold on, Kim. I'm unmuting your line. <laughs> today is one of those days where the planets are not quite aligning. We're going to fix this real quick. Talk about live. Hey, Kim. Hi. Are you get, are you having problems talking through? Yeah, crazy technical stuff. But I actually have you on three way, so it's good. It's all good. We have you on the line. Oh, so everyone can hear me, right? Everybody can hear you. True, do me a Hello, favor. Everybody. 
<laughs> True, do me a favor. Hit me up in the chat room so that I know you can hear Kim. Okay, there's like a, a like a couple seconds away. This is talk about live radio. It's all good. Anyway, we're not going to lose any more time dealing with technical stuff, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep it pushing. Kim, for everybody who may not be familiar with who you are, let them know who you are. Well, um, I'm sure people know that I have the book out straight from the source, and um, yes. That talks about uh, my time at the source, and, you know, I can go on forever uh, with my history, but I'll talk primarily what people know, uh, I'll talk about what people know me, and that is just the challenges that I faced at the magazine, um, the lawsuit that was filed after that, and, um, you know, the very lengthy trial that I decided to um, yeah, address in my book, so... Yeah, I just got word back from the chat room that everybody can hear you, so that's definitely a good thing. Thank God I think quickly on the fly because, I, you know, just even knowing who you are, we've never met um, face-to-face, but, you know, I love your story. I love everything that, that you've done. Just working at the source, can you talk a little bit about how it impacts women and how, um, how women are affected in the workplace, if you can? Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, it's not something that is unique to just the Source magazine or um, just the hip-hop industry. Really, women in the workplace have to deal with uh, a lot of injustices, right, at, at different jobs that are out there. And a lot of times it's, it's involved, it involves the culture that you're in. Um, for me, being within the hip-hop culture and, you know, seeing the culture change so much and its depiction of women just really – take a turn for the negative, it was hard to be in that position where I was working at the Source magazine at the time and dealing with the internal drama that I had to deal with uh, from my bosses. So, you know, I hate to, to detail every little thing that happened. People ask me all the time why I decided to write the book. It was sort of therapeutic for me to get my story out there since there were so many other conflicting stories of what actually happened. And I decided to do it because I know that there are a lot of women who, um, whether they be in hip-hop or not, have similar stories as well. Yeah, no doubt. I have a caller. Caller from 706. Let me see if I can try to pick up your line. <clears throat> I'll, I'll try that in one second. Can just talk to me a little bit about, like, I know I worked in the industry, and I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, I can't take it. You know, all the cur- just people don't even understand the magnitude of the stuff that goes on in the industry. And I've shared with my listeners on many occasions that the industry and entertainment in general is not as shiny as it looks. What got you to the place where you finally said, I have to get out? I think, and, and I don't want to, you know, come off as if I'm attacking the industry because I still work in the industry. It's really as not do about I. Yeah, and it's really not about the entertainment industry as a whole. I was working at one particular place where two individuals were abusing their power and doing things that were against the law, and that's what it became about. Um, But, you know, once the trial uh, came out and people started to hear about what was going on, it became sort of like an attack on hip-hop. And that's where I decided to sort of let people know what my story was and explain you know, things that happen so that they understand it's not something that is is an attack on hip-hop. It was about these two individuals, and it was about my one specific case. I just got to the point where I was at work, and things that were happening, you know, and that have been happening for a while um, came to a head, and I felt like I needed to file a complaint of discrimination, and I did that, and then I was ultimately fired for filing that complaint. 
Well, yeah, that's typically what happens. But isn't there some protection under the law that's given under for whistleblowers, if that's what it's called? Well, they, that's, that's called retaliatory discharge when you're fired for filing a complaint. And you're supposed to be protected. And that's why I decided to um, take it to court. And ultimately, I was victorious on that claim because the jury found that I actually was fired after filing that complaint. I have a caller from 706. Caller from 706, uh, do you have a question or comment? You're on the line with Cy Brown for Life Free Mix Radio and Kim Osorio. Can you hear me? Yeah. How you doing? It's Derek Hayes. I just, I'm just listening in, listening to two great, two great women giving a great conversation. So I have no questions. I just want to thank you all for doing a lovely job. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, everybody. That's uh, that's my buddy Derek Hayes out of Columbus, Georgia, who's a motiv- dynamic, dynamic motivational speaker. So thanks, thanks, Derek, for listening to the show today. I appreciate it. Kim, talk to us about what it was like to write your book. Well, like I said, writing was is, has always been therapeutic for me. So when I sat down to write the book, it was something that I had always wanted to do. Um, but I was in a situation where the book almost wrote itself. You know, things that were happening were building this story. Um, from the time that I got that job at the source until the time the actual trial came out. So for me to actually sit down and relive everything, it was like getting it all out. And that's why um, I felt like it was something that I had to do. And what has happened to your career after that? Did it go up? Did it go down? Did it maintain the same? Like what happened, you know, professionally? Was, were you blackballed from certain things or...? Well, that is a, it's a funny question. Professionally, you know, everybody has to get knocked down before they can rise again. And that's, that's what true success really is. Mm. Can you um, say that one more time? I love that. Can you say that one more time? I said true success is when you're, you know, not when you reach a certain level, but when you're actually knocked down and you get back up again. So for me, right after I was fired from the source, it took a while to build myself up professionally. Um, wow. Not because, you know, I didn't have the contacts or I didn't have the job or whatever, but just because it's hard to come from such a high position to land another job to actually, it's like you have to start over. So you never right. walk into some place and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have that acclaim that you had at the last place you worked. But for me, um, I've been able to be even more successful now with, you know, I'm currently the editor at large at BC.com and then I also have uh, this book out um, and I'm, doing a college tour where I'm going across the country speaking at different colleges and universities about these issues. So, um, you know, it, it depends on how you measure success. Me personally, I think that, you know, I'm definitely a lot more successful now than I was then. Yeah, um, but you know what? You have to, you, we, we have to look at something from a real pragmatic perspective. Right now, there's a whole lot of, Kim Osorio's getting knocked down. And I think for, for as it relates to you, you just have a higher profile where we're able to see it. Mm-hmm. But think of all the other, not even just women, other people that are getting knocked down and taking punches from life and don't know how to get back up. I've, I've taken a big professional punch. I lost my entire agency for the, through this whole financial crisis, and my listeners have watched me build my speakers bureau back up, and it was very, very difficult. Getting up is never fun, but now when you start to rise above it, you're like, Dag, I did it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, and it's also, I think you learn a lot more just about life in general when something like that happens. Like financially, I'm in a, a better place in terms of the the money, uh, knowing how to manage my money, right, and and the money that I make, whether it be from speaking, from the book, um, or from the current job that I hold or freelancing. And I think that is important to know as an individual, especially in this economy, that you have to pull income from different sources. And in the beginning, it's not going to match what you may have been seeing at that job. But, you know, as you continue to grow and build those other businesses, it's better for yourself because you'll have income coming in from all over. That's, that's what's happened with me. You know, like initially when I was that first year that I was out of work uh, for eight months or so after I left the source, it was hard. You know, I had to do a lot of things like, refi the, the house I had. Um, luckily, I had bought a condo. I had to refi, pull money out, mm-hmm. um, and figure out a way to stay above water because I had no job. I was just freelancing, and coming from a position where you're making so much money, you've got to, you know, figure out a way to maintain yourself and pay your bills. But, you know, it gave me the opportunity to learn just about myself and just about, you know, what I wanted to do and then take that and be able to reap the benefits of it. But I think Kim, that's what that was. That's what puts you in such a sweet position right now. What? Listen to what you just said. You said, "Sigh." Luckily, I had certain mechanisms in place. I was without a job for eight months. Now, of course, that is a very jacked up situation. How that whole thing went down. But there are people right now that have been out of job three, four months. They're ready to jump out of windows and do all sorts of things. And now to hear your story, you're like, yo, I was out of work for eight months. I had to do this, 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 and this. And those are the pieces of little nuggets of wisdom that I so treasure you sharing with my audience because that's the stuff that keeps people going. That's the stuff that gives people hope. When we talked earlier and you told me what your show was about, you know, I definitely wanted to be on it because it's these things in life that you learn that sort of help you move to that next phase. And um, I don't think I'll ever be in a position again where I'm sort of like down and out, and I hope not. You know, I, mean, I know right. everybody can be, but where I'm down and out and I just don't have the answers because I'm preparing myself. Like you've always got to prepare ahead, um, and that's what I do now. I learned to prepare ahead just in case something is to happen. Being out of work for eight months, that's, that's hard. You know, when you're out of work for a little while, um, have to deal with those financial difficulties. But You've got to know what you're going to do just in case, especially in this economy now. See, back then, 2006, it was a lot different. Mm-hmm. You know, but prices were higher to me. I know it's just, I filled up my gas tank the other day for $35. I've never yeah. I hadn't done that, you know, <laughs> since I don't know when. So um, it was a tough time back then in order to maintain myself with the expenses that I had. Because once you make a certain amount of money, your expenses, you know, kind of catch up to you. So it's not I like you're pocketing all the money. I said that, and I said I actually feel bad for a lot of these people that made these big hundreds of thousands and even millions of dollars. I said if you put yourself, and I know it's probably not a very popular thing to say, but put yourself in their shoes. If you put yourself in their shoes, you'll actually almost feel badly for them. They have no concept of scaling back. They have no concept of, well, we can't go on vacation. I have not gone on a vacation with my children in a few years. Right. 
But you know what? We adapt. We've done more things local. We don't have other houses. And when you put yourself in their shoes, some people can't even conceptualize the need to scale back, you know, or, or to be able to, you know, we have a joke on this show. We all talk about cutting coupons and who found what deals because that's now becoming the norm. Flamboyance and extravagance is, is, is definitely frowned upon. Well, I mean, I was brought up in an environment where, you know, my mother made us take the five-cent bottles back to the supermarket and cash yeah. them in, right? And at the time, we thought it was, and she cut a lot of coupons, and we thought it was, like, embarrassing to have to do that. But I've always been raised with that mentality of save, you know, and make mm-hmm. sure you have enough and don't spend too much money. My mother still calls me to this day and asks me silly questions about, you know, things that I'm doing just to make sure that I'm not overspending. And, um, you know, I remember being at the source and a lot of people when I was fired talking, throwing my salary out there around, like it was some big to do, like, oh, my God. Like, but, but I think for our community, we're just so used to, you know, being undervalued and being taken mm-hmm. less than we know that we're worth. Um, but I was living within that means. So it's not like I was fired and then I still, you know, my expenses decreased. I still had to maintain that certain amount. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, t- I totally hear you. What are some final thoughts that you would like to leave with, with my listeners just about your whole experience? I just, you know, like I said, I just want to, you know, remain positive and, and say that just be prepared for things before they happen and, and definitely, um, you know, diversify yourself and diversify um, and where and where that's coming from because that's really important, especially in this economy. No, I I totally agree with you. Everybody, you're listening to Kim Osorio. She has a new book out. The book is actually scrolling across the bottom of your screen, so please buy the book. Don't buy the bootleg. Don't buy, you know, some other obscure copy. Go to Amazon, support Kim, support her book. Um, So generous of you, Kim, to come on the show and share your story. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. Oh, no doubt. Everybody, remember, we shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, for we shall not pass this way again. I love you all for listening. I will see you tomorrow right here on LifeRemixRadio.com, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. It's your girl, Cy Brown, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.